reading from the book of Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. Jesus told his disciples, There was once a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Okay, thank you Rosie. Of all of the parables we've looked at so far, this has got to be the most challenging one, isn't it? Uh, there are a bunch of unsavoury characters in some of other Jesus parables. Um, think of the unjust judge or the neighbour who didn't want to be bothered at night. But the trouble with this story is that it seems to praise a thief. Uh, in fact, Turns out that the last non-Christian ruler of the Roman Empire tried to use this parable to insert, to assert that Jesus and Christianity was inferior, because he um, taught, he thought that the message of the parable was that it was okay to rip people off. And this title, uh, this earned him the title Julian the Apostate um, by the Church. So that's um, hardly a one to take home and pin on the wall, is it? So in my preparation for the sermon, I was amazed at how many totally different and um, contrary interpretations of this parable there were. Some people um, believe that the, the master's a good man, and others that he's uh, uh, in league with the, the, sh the manager. So of course this has huge ramifications for how we interpret the parable, right? If the, if the master's good, then perhaps it represents God. He represents God. If the master's bad, well, who does he represent? We can't say that. <laughs> it's God, right? So it has huge ramifications for how we interpret um, the parable. And others uh, thought that um, the manager was making his living by adding to the bill of the master. So he'd take the bill of the master and he'd add a bit, well, a lot, as the case may be, and then he'd present the bill to the debtor. And then when the, when the um, items came back, 
he would pocket his share and pass on the rest. So that's how some people thought that he was making a living. Um, others that he has a, has a salary, so he's a paid position, and that he wasn't like adding on a great deal to the bill. So confusion reigns, and um, <laughs> for a long time I was confused as I sat in this parable. So it, did, anyone, did anyone else sit in this parable? Did you, oh, Veth, did you have any kind of confusion? Yep, <laughs> that's fair enough. Anyone else? Yeah, confusion, that's a good, a good summation. But um, praise God we have people like Kenneth Bailey. So Kenneth Bailey, um, we've mentioned his name quite a lot in this series. So he's sat, he's lived in the Middle East for decades, so he's able to um, interpret, give us a lot of cultural background to this um, kind of issue. And he's written a, a fantastic book called Poet and Peasant. So if you ever want to... There's some, a huge chapter on this particular parable because it's so complex. <clears throat> so if you want to do some more reading about this parable, um, I'd encourage you to have a look at that. <clears throat> but as I was um, going through this parable, a, a bunch of questions came up in my mind. So let's look at some of those. Oh, I found this picture too. <clears throat> and I quite like it because... You know, the, the master, the rich man, he's, he's quite an imposing figure, isn't he? And then <laughs> the manager, he's kind of got his head bowed. <laughs> he, looks, he looks guilty. To <laughs> yep, uh, yeah, it was me. You know, he, uh, there's a lot in this picture I thought was really neat. But, but let's um, have a look at the, at the parable again and some of the questions that came up, certainly in my mind. Um, so in this... Verses 1 and 2, how was the manager wasting <coughs> the rich man's possessions? What was he doing? How was he wasting it? Um, who told the rich man that he had a crooked manager? Why? <coughs> what does give an account mean? You see, they give an account of your management because you can no longer be manager anymore. What does that mean? Looks like this guy gets fired on the spot. I've never been fired before, which is quite good, but I'd imagine it'd be pretty sobering if to, to walk into a, a meeting and giving your marching order. Maybe you can't actually do that these days. No, probably not. Okay. These are the bad old days then. Okay, some more questions. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. He doesn't protest. He doesn't, he doesn't defend himself. He, he, he doesn't try and weasel out of it. He just takes it. Um, I think that's a good thing. I don't know if you've done any management courses at work and you have to do an inventory of your strengths and weaknesses. But this is a pretty honest self-inventory, eh? I'm not strong enough to dig. <laughs> he must be a bit of a skinny dude. And I'm, he's ashamed to beg. Well, again, that's, that's a good thing, I think. But that leaves him with a f very few options. And when he's talking, he, he obviously thinks of a cunning plan to make sure he falls on his feet. 
when he has to leave his current job. Okay, verse 5, he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of oil. In Rose's translation, it was 800, but it was half and half, so there's probably, when they're trying to translate it from units or whatever they had in the old days, there's obviously a bit of complexity around that. So, yeah, so he makes it half of what it was before. So, question. He didn't go to to see the debtors. He made them come to him. You notice that? So obviously they thought he was still manager. And it looks like he's defrauding his master of 450 gallons of olive oil. I mean, that sounds like a lot to me. (laughs) Uh, The debtor's in on the fraud. And he gets the debtor to change the invoice, not him. I didn't know what that was about. Verse 7, then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So why did he halve the bill of the first guy and only drop this one by 20%? Seems a bit odd. And again, he makes the debtor change the invoice, which again seems pretty weird. I mean, if I'm releasing an invoice to someone, I'm, I'm the guy that, makes a change, right? <laughs> I don't give the invoice, huh? make it what you want. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty weird. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than other people of the light. How did the master find out he had been ripped off even more? How did he even let that happen? Why didn't he have the manager put in jail instead of commending him? And what on earth does that last sentence mean? Okay, quite a few questions. So fortunately, uh, Kenneth Bailey brought a lot of clarity for me. And he said that there's three questions that we need to answer before we proceed to the parable itself in order to interpret it. So the first one, is the master an honest man? Or is he a partner in crime with his manager? That's the first question. Second question, has the manager been overcharging the debtors by adding his own inflated portion of the bill, right, so that maybe his, his, uh, the manager's amount was actually 450 gallons of oil and he added his own 450 gallons of oil. Maybe that's what he's doing. And then when he, when he, when he corrected it, He's actually only reducing or getting rid of his cut and giving the manager... So in other words, the manager wasn't being ripped off at all. Okay, this is what some people believe. (laughs) And last one, is the manager an estate manager dealing with land rentals or is he an authorised agent for a moneylender? Why is is this important? Uh, It's important because is he paid... Or does he have to fend for himself by adding to the, the bills that he hands out? And Kenneth Bailey says the interpretation of the entire parable <coughs> hinges on these three questions. Right, so let's tackle the first one. Kenneth Bailey said the master is an upright man. And the reasons are this, are because... <coughs> 
The parable comes straight after the parable of the prodigal son, in which the father is an outstandingly gracious figure. And more than that, the Greek word for wasting in the parable of the shrewd manager is the same as that used for squandered in the parable of the prodigal son. So they're linked. Okay, one comes after the other, and they're linked. So this tells us that we can, perhaps the manager was doing similar things to the prodigal son. So he was engaging in wild living, like you know, the prodigal son was living it up, right? So it's, in a sense, uh, this, we could say that the manager was doing similar things to the prodigal son. <clears throat> So his initial reaction, the second reason why we can say their master is an upright man is because of his initial reaction. Now back in those days, if you had found out that someone who worked for you was defrauding you, you would probably have him whipped and put in jail. <clears throat> Instead, he simply says the, man the manager cannot continue in his position and asked to be given an account of his management. <clears throat> and there's a bunch of translations which translate this particular part, hand over the books. I want to see the books, okay? And then the weird thing is, he lets him go. Now, if, if you just fired a guy, would you just let him go and find the books for you and <laughs> hand them back? Like, no. <laughs> You'd say, find some of the other blokes, follow this man, get the books and then bring them both back to me. Or something like that. That's what I would have done. <clears throat> he just lets them go. Which is, of course, opens them up to being ripped off again. And that's precisely what happened. And then so we can say, again, his reaction to being ripped off again <laughs> is quite incredible. He doesn't even take action. Instead, he commends the manager for being shrewd. Not, not for being dishonest, but for being shrewd. Quite, I mean, this is, I mean, you put yourself in the, in the shoes of this, this rich man. man. Wouldn't you be, like, super angry by now? <laughs> wouldn't you be yelling and shouting and throwing things at the guy or something like that? I, I think I would. And the last thing, he had friends who reported the antics of the manager to him. If the, if the rich man was a bad man then chances are people saw his manager engaging in all sorts of really wild living. They'd say, oh, nice one, mate. Good on you. And then I'm not going to go and tell the, that guy's a so-and-so. <laughs> Just about said another word there. But <laughs> um, he, wouldn't have, he wouldn't have had any friends to come and report to him about the antics of his manager. So there's no indication that the master is dodgy. And so we can conclude that the master is an upright man. Okay? Now, second question. Was the manager adding an excessive cut? <clears throat> Has he been doing this to feather his own nest? Such that the reduction that he gave the debtors <clears throat> was simply a, the removal of his cut. The evidence would suggest that this isn't the case because... <coughs> in, in, the, in the day and probably still is the case today it's common for 
a bit of a kickback to occur. A bit of under the, I mean, mum and dad saw it in Africa heaps. You, you couldn't get anything without bribery. <clears throat> so this was common that a bit of an under the table payment was made. But everyone would have known the value of what was going on. And if this guy had tried to done something super, super cheeky, like double the bill or something, what would the debtors have gone to do? They would have gone to the marshal and said, look, this, is, this guy's been completely out of control here. You need to rein him in. But no, that's not what we see. <coughs> and Kenneth Bailey said, he did all this, wrote a lot of stuff about the economics of the times and how things worked. And, and it's sometimes it's assumed that the, the rich man um, kind of left his manager to it. But he actually said that in, in those days, a rich man was rich because he knew what was going on. Right? He just didn't like go to the beach and something and, and leave all of his wealth in the hands of someone else. He knew what was going on and he would have seen the bills. So if the, if the rich man knew the bills, saw the bills, then he would have seen if his manager was adding a whole bunch of his own cut onto it. And we don't, again, we don't see this. None of this is evident in the parable. So market rent would be known. So if the, if the, the bill was ridiculous, again, the debtors would have gone, hey, gone to the master, look, this is not right. So again, they would have complained to the master. We don't see that. And this is quite an important one here. If the manager had been ripping debtors off for a long time and they knew it, would you give the guy a job when he got fired? <laughs> no way. Down the road, mate, tell somebody he cares. That's what most people would have done, I think. Okay? So we can say that the manager wasn't adding an excessive cut. In fact, Kenneth Bailey concludes that he's in a salaried position. He's, he's getting paid. <coughs> I think I've jumped ahead to my point, but let's go through this. Is the manager dealing with land rentals or is he an agent for a moneylender? It's most probable that he was a land rental manager because the debtors pay in produce, okay, olive oil and wheat. They don't pay in money. <coughs> and you note that, that the bill, all, all this stuff is done to the bill, but there's no mention of getting actually getting the, what's owed. Why? Because it's still growing, <laughs> right? So the chances are olive oil, the olives are still on the tree, the wheat's still in the field, and all this doctoring is going on to the bill. <clears throat> so that suggests land rental, paid in produce. <clears throat> okay, I've just covered that point. They weren't due until the harvest. So there's nowhere in the story uh, is there any question of collecting the debts, only what is owed. <clears throat> the Greek word for manager is oikonomos, which means household manager or estate manager. 
And therefore, as an estate manager, he's being paid by the master. So he's getting a wage. <clears throat> so the most probable cultural setting for this parable is that of a landed estate with a manager who had the authority to carry out the business of the estate. The debtors were most likely renters who had agreed to pay a fixed amount of produce for the yearly rent. The manager was no doubt making a little extra under the table, but these amounts were not exorbitant. The master was a man of noble character who dealt exceedingly graciously with his wayward manager. Okay, so with those questions sorted out, then we can proceed to the parable. So a summary of the parable is this. <clears throat> the master was a good man, well respected in the community. And word reaches him from his friends that his manager is frittering away his wealth and wild living. Rightly concerned, he confronts the manager and fires him on the spot. He could have done a lot worse, but he didn't, for some reason. The only thing we know that he must have been a very gracious man. The manager doesn't try and defend himself, which is very unusual in the Middle East. In fact, Kenneth Bailey said he's witnessed a number of dismissals, and he's never seen or never even heard of a case where the person getting fired didn't kick up an awful stink and proclaim this, they, people are lying, no, this is not me, you know, basically begging to get reinstated in their job. He's never seen a situation where the guy just takes it. <laughs> Therefore, his silence confirms his guilt. <coughs> Even though he is fired, the master asks for the manager to hand over the books. The master is either negligent or very gracious in giving the manager an opportunity to react because by letting the manager go and get the books without supervision, he opens himself up to being ripped off even more. <clears throat> Despite the manager's silence, he realises that no one else knows that he's been fired. So he takes a daring risk, one that relies totally on the graciousness of his master. And this is a key point in the parable. <coughs> One thing that struck me was that this guy doesn't try and get some of the master's wealth and put it in his own bank account or set it aside for himself. <coughs> he, he uses the master's wealth to, to um, <coughs> make the debtors better off. You see that? It's not like he's swiping the cash and putting it in, under his own mattress. So he calls in the debtors one by one so that they can't talk to each other and ask too many questions and find out, oh, what are you doing here? What's going on? If the debtors find out he is defrauding the master, they won't cooperate. And this is another important point. Because if they break faith with the master in any way, he won't rent the land to them. And their whole livelihood will be in jeopardy. So the debtors aren't in on this defrauding. The manager's in a hurry because he doesn't use greetings or titles for the debtors. He just gets straight to the point. What do you owe? No, hello, so-and-so. How are you? How's your cat? <clears throat> and then he gets them to significantly reduce the amount of produce owed by each debtor. And this is not an insignificant amount. 450 gallons of oil was worth 
a farm worker's wage for a year and a half, 500 denarii, and 20% of the bushels of wheat were also 500 denarii. So they're, the, they're actually the same amount, even though the percentage of each is different. And Kenneth Bailey points out that if he's in a hurry, he's just going to say, right, what's 500 denarii of this? What's 500 denarii of that? So it makes it um, easier, rather than trying to work out a percentage of what each thing is worth. <coughs> so the manager wants the debtors to do the writing, because anyone looking at the books in the future will know that the debtors have been contacted and they have accepted the reductions. So I thought that was an interesting point. The manager must know that his master is exceedingly gracious because this action could and should <coughs> land him in jail. And yet there is no indication that the possibility even entered his mind. As the whole thing is about how can I make sure that I'm sweet when I lose my job? It's not... I can't rip the sky off even more because I'll be in jail. <laughs> there's, there's no indication that he's even thinking that he's going to end up in jail. It's quite weird. So he's presuming on the goodness of the master in this whole thing. And on top of this, by presenting the master, so the debtors aren't in on it, right? So if you, are, if you owe somebody something and, they get, and you get called in and they halve your bill, you're like, phew. Score, take that one. That's, that's really generous, thanks. Right? So you're, you're thinking, you're grateful that your bill has been halved. It's, it's, you're, it's like you're painting the master in a very positive light. And then what do these guys do? They'd probably go back into town. Man, you'd never guess what. The, the guy halved my bill. What a great guy. Let's have a drink. <laughs> let's go and toast the master that's, that, that's what Kenneth Bailey says is likely to have happened <clears throat> imagine the celebrations in town that night imagine the praise that will be sung to the master because of his generosity and yet when news of his dismissal eventually gets out the manager knows that the debtors will realise what he did and welcome him to join their team because of his shrewdness but also they will know that actually the manager was very gracious because he let this happen. <coughs> so the manager returns to the master with the books. The master opens up the books. Hello. <laughs> You've halved these two bills. He knows what's happened and he let it happen. So he's now got two choices. <coughs> he can storm down to the, the debtors and say that that manager clown, I actually fired him and he did this while he was fired. So sorry, let's, let's go back to the, the original bill. You can imagine how that would go down. He's probably going to walk in and everyone's toasting the manager. Sorry guys, it's all off. Original bill's reinstated. He's going to go from the toast of the town to the turd of the town, or something like that. Second option, stays quiet. Pays the price for his manager's deceit and continues to enjoy his enhanced reputation as a generous man. 
And Kenneth Bailey pointed out that by rights he could have sold this guy's family, his children, into slavery and used that money to um, get back some of what he's lost. He doesn't do it. <clears throat> so with a quiet smile to himself, the master chooses option two and commends the manager for his shrewdness. So now we can proceed to the interpretation. It's clear from our study so far that the master represents God because he's upright in nature, he's exceedingly gracious and he's willing to sustain losses without demanding retribution. Because Jesus told this parable to the disciples, this is where it starts getting close to home, it's clear that the manager represents a wayward disciple in much the same vein as the prodigal son. The calling to account implies that this parable relates to the coming of the Lord. Okay, so second coming, what, what's going to happen when the kingdom of God comes. But if the master represents the Lord, how can he commend him in this situation? From the scriptures, it's clear that the master commends the manager for being shrewd, not dishonest. <clears throat> He's still called the dishonest manager. But the master said, well done for being shrewd. In fact, the master appears to be pleased that the manager presumed on his graciousness and generosity. <clears throat> In much the same way, the prodigal son was commended for coming home. The, the father ran to him, right? <clears throat> But he wasn't commended for frittering away the, the wealth and wild living. Both the prodigal son and the shrewd manager throw themselves on the mercy of the father or the master. <clears throat> Both were concerned with self-preservation. That's another important point. <laughs> A lot of people today, they live as if they don't care what's going to happen at the, at, when they die. <clears throat> these guys were the, both the prodigal son and the shrewd manager were concerned with self-preservation so Kenneth Bailey says that in the light of these conclusions the theological message of this parable is that God which is represented by the master is a God of judgment and mercy because of our evil we the steward are caught in the crisis of the coming kingdom when Jesus returns. Excuses won't be accepted. Our only option is to entrust everything to the unfailing mercy of our gracious God, who we can be confident who will, will accept to pay the price for our salvation. The shrewd manager was wise enough to place his total trust in the quality of mercy experienced at the beginning of the parable. That trust was vindicated. We as Jesus' disciples need the same kind of wisdom. <clears throat> Sorry, just catching up here. Bringing it home. I found that interpretation quite confronting. It's like there's a part of me that's represented by that dishonest manager. That's what, that's what the parable is saying. <clears throat> no matter how hard we try to live our lives to the glory of God, we will fail because we are part of this broken world and we are broken ourselves. 
And therefore, we all stand guilty of wasting God's possessions. We're all like the prodigal son, even if it's only a part of us. Even if we identify more with the older brother in the prodigal son parable than, than the prodigal himself. I mean, I certainly identify with the, the older brother rather than the prodigal, but this parable says part of me is a prodigal. I've gone off and done my own thing. I've wasted the things, the gifts, the resources that God's given me. So it takes humility to accept this position. You know, <laughs> it's quite confronting. But it's also liberating too. Because we can say, yeah, guilty. Just like the, the manager didn't offer any excuses. He didn't try and lie and, and explain away his failure. He just took it. He said, yeah, it's me. Or it, for, for us, maybe we can say it's part of me. But whatever, we would be wise not to, when we sin, when we fail, not to offer excuses. Put our hand up and say, yes, I did that or I've thought that. We would be wise to do the same. Why excuses are evidence of self-justification, not reliance on grace. And in all of the, just about all of these parables we've been looking at, grace is a common theme. Unmerited favour. God does good to us when we, have, when we don't deserve it. We get the good that Jesus deserved. He got the punishment that we deserved. That's grace. The shrewd manager risked everything on the graciousness of the master. <clears throat> he didn't have a plan B. He only had one plan. And that plan was to risk everything on the graciousness of the master. And the master commended him for this. Again, we would be wise to follow his example. So, that's the parable of the shrewd manager. I'm not sure that I've got everything. Not sure that I've answered all the questions in that parable. But I think I'm in a much better place of understanding of that parable than when I started. <laughs> so let's pray and I'll invite the music team to come forward as we pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that once again you are represented as kind and gracious. Lord, you do not give us what we deserve. Instead, you, you give us good, and then you give more good. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the world in which you live, which is the world of grace, the world of unmerited favour. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us all of our sins, our past, our present, our future sins, when we come to you. And we don't offer excuses. We just say, yes, this is me and I need your grace, Lord. So, Father, help us to know that you are good. No matter what this world tells us, no matter what our experience tells us, Lord, you are good because you gave your son. 
and you don't need to do anything else to, to show that you are good. So Father, may this message of this parable sink into our hearts as we reflect on your nature once again. And Lord, draw us close to your heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. We're going to sing Hosanna. Hosanna actually means 